This episode of the Dogs of War podcast is brought to you by everyone who submitted a Creed or Nickelback theme Brown song to the Instagram account Angry Browns Fans to help cheer us up after a loss. Singing that song today will be the one and only Muccio. Shout out Muccio. This episode, we bring back our friend Mo Egger from Cincinnati ESPN Radio 1530 to help us break down the upcoming Bengals game. Raleigh and I also talk about the game that happened in Pittsburgh last weekend. And we read the questions from Instagram that were submitted today. Let's go. Kevin, not as kick-ass as last week. Hey, look, after four Victory Mondays in a row, you got to take a week off and just kick back a little bit, all right? Like, this is all very strategic. This is all very strategic, and I really appreciate what Stefanski and the boys are doing. I can't do that many Sundays like that in a row, all right? Yeah, it's so – somebody DM'd me. I didn't repost it. He said it was necessary. We have to get the rest of the league to go back to sleep on us so we can get that Super Bowl. And the kid's right. I'll look up your name later, and I'm probably going to forget to shout you out, but that's what I'm talking about, kid. Who the hell do we think we are calling for a rebellion? We're the Browns, and we're 4-2. and two. My co-host is getting very excited already. Welcome back to the Dogs More Podcast. You got Kevin and Raleigh here. We got a great show on here for you today, but yes, there's no need to really sugarcoat or dance around it. We got a little civil war going on in Cleveland. And I am, I am baffled right now. Like I, I, I have so many different people that I want to just address slash scream at slash throw something at. We don't have a long enough podcast or enough hours in a day to sit here and do that. But let's talk about it. It's insane, dude. If you're on a Facebook Browns page, it's pretty much boomers. Like you said, they're at a civil war. Oh, Baker's not my quarterback. Well, yeah, he fucking is. Oh, what the hell? He looked like shit. I don't care if he had a hurt rib. It's just like 50-year-olds going at it, at each other's throat. I, I am a part of a couple of those Facebook groups. By a part, I mean I I hit join or whatever. And they're always the ones at the top of my wall when I feed, when I sign in. It is some of the most unintelligent, outrageous conversation I've ever seen in my life. Not just on the Browns, just in general. The scenarios people throw up in there about who the next quarterback should be or what we should do with these players or what, I mean, it, it's, if you are listening to this and have not yet joined one of these Facebook groups with like the thousands and thousands of members, you, I don't know where these people come from or who they are, but some of these take, not all of them, but some of these takes in these groups, you will never see anywhere else 
ever. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't just bash the people that are, you know, calling for a new quarterback because it's also almost equally as hillbilly to just throw up a post saying, hell yeah, Browns till I die. Get a picture of you in your shirt. Like, <laughs> I do and that. Then, you do that. I, I, know, I know. I do that too. I realize how I do that. Yeah, I know. I'm proud of that. But on Facebook, it's like on those groups when you post it, the comment section, no matter how positive it is, it's a civil war. But my point is, everybody's freaking insane right now. And I'm just watching like, all right, everybody, calm yourselves. Subscribe and like and listen to the Dog Sport Podcast. We'll bring you back from the brink. So unless you are clearly living under a rock or the 480 Bridge, shout out to our listeners under the 480 Bridge, uh, we got absolutely stomped, ran over, killed by the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, similar to game one against the Ravens. So one thing's for sure, while we've made many improvements this year, we are nowhere near the top of the North just yet. We got some work to do. We're a year or two away from that. We talked about that. We already know that. Uh, there is not one good thing to talk about from the Steelers game. We did absolutely nothing right. Uh, now that Higgins touchdown pass was sick, though. All right, that so, was sick. So my favorite, my favorite stat so far of the year, I think, on this season is that Higgins, my man Hollywood, uh, first of all, best touchdown celebration in the league as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the, on the year, five catches, two touchdowns. Yeah, that's – that's a good stat. Positive. And, and I, I love baby. it. And, and he's being such a pro about it. He's not running his mouth on social media. He's not making a fuss about it. He's just kind of being like, he just kind of has his hands up, like five catches, two of our touchdowns. Like, what are we doing? So shout out to Hollywood. Uh, yeah. So as we talk about this civil war and, and another, we say this like every week now, but the reason why I love that we record this on Tuesday or Wednesday nights is that we've already had a few days to decompress and read all these hot takes and get our own opinions out there. First of all, the civil war that's a brewing in Cleveland, the main cause of this is that for the past 20 years, 20 plus years, we've had nothing to do but bitch and moan about this franchise from the ownership, the GMs, the coaches, the quarterback carousel that we've already had a hundred of since 99. That now that when we were we were uh, four and one going into this this game, and now we're four and two, people don't know what to do with a record like this. They don't want to believe it. They want to, even like Browns fans. I'm talking about. They're like, no, there's got to be something wrong. We know we're going to get our hearts ripped out at some point. Let's just start bitching about things now. Let's find something to be mad about because all we know how to do is be mad at this football team and this franchise. And I get it. I understand that 100. percent Here's the thing. I had all these thoughts written out and these bullet points written out. And I was sitting here today thinking about what I wanted to talk about when talking about Emily and Baker, but Baker. Uh, first of all, you got ESPN, Stephen A. starting this uh, free OBJ campaign. Like he should demand a trade up out of Cleveland. Uh, no. They got, they're talking about how, you know, Baker's on the clock. His time is ticking. Guys, any quarterback in year three, who has not signed that extension yet, which is what all of them that are in year three, uh, th they're all on the clock. They're all on the clock. You have to have a good foundation, something to show somewhere in these first three years that say you're a franchise quarterback. Uh, has Baker solidified that yet? Probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Depends who you ask. 
Uh, is he some god-awful quarterback, some below-average quarterback? No, absolutely not. And here's the thing. There's all these articles being written in our own hometown media. Don't even get me started. I'm not even going to name any names anymore. Just a waste of breath. It's blogs, too. Yeah. People are just looking for clicks and just looking for something to bitch about. We are six games. i got to step away from the mic. We are six games into the season. We have ten games left. Stefanski and Baker have been together for less than 90 days. It was the COVID season. They were doing these installs over Zoom. It is six games into the season. It's not even Halloween yet. And you've got people out here wiling out, going nuts. And also, the sh- why I said that, because I, I want to talk about Emily too. Emily Mayfield. Uh, she put up two very, very innocent vanilla Instagram story posts just saying, my guy's busting his ass off for this city. Everyone just relax and let's like calm down. It's sick. She's saying the same thing. We're six weeks in. Nothing's on fire. We're four and two. And you got people writing these blogs, you know, on, on Barstool, everywhere else. Oh, you know, look at Emily coming in all hot and, and you know, trying to – no. This is what always – and what pisses me off. And this is just because that their friends of the program have been on here before. Anytime Emily, like, just shows up any tweet or, like, Instagram post, the blogs just jump all over it, which is expected – when you're the wife of a former number one overall Heisman winner, what franchise quarterback, but she has never once said anything that I've seen that's even remotely questionable as being inappropriate or you know shitty or whatever. So I, I just I see the to end this long rant because I'm sorry I just took up a lot of time here. You're running out of steam, baby. Everyone's got to chill out. It's six games into the season. The Cleveland Browns are four and two. We're Last four year, and two. Like, what else do you want to do? We have 10 games left. I'm not saying we're not going to have these conversations in January, February, but we're not there yet. We don't know. There's no, we don't know the answer to this story yet. We don't have the sample size. We don't know what could happen. We don't know what could happen tomorrow to any of us listening here. That's what I meant to get on. Ooh, let me uh, add on to that, and we'll transition, segue, if you will, into our little questionnaire submitted on the Instagram machine. Basically ask people, Ask a question. Kevin and I will do our best to answer it. Garrison Fisher, like many people ask, is Baker the franchise QB? Is it time to move on? No, it's not time to move on. Let me break it down for you. He's 25. He's a human being. He has gone through four head coaches in 2.3 years. So when other people get to learn one playbook, Baker's had to learn four the most recent of which has been during the COVID crisis. Reading a defense, reading defenses takes time. Reading defenses when you're trying to also learn a new playbook, it doesn't set you up for success. Point being, he's got a new head coach. I think Stefanski's our guy. Stefanski's our guy, official take. Yeah. Yeah. He's for sure our guy with that freaking jawline. And let him develop Baker. Let him do it without people trashing him on social media, whether it's the press, the actual fans that work at a factory that hate their lives and they try to take it out on our team. Like, why do you hate watch the Browns? It's comical. It's not comical. It pisses me off. But, yes, Baker is our guy. Support him. Support the family. Support the Browns. If you want to play GM in the offseason, you can do it. This same thing applies to Sandejo. Sandejo's got burned a couple of times. The dude's 33. He's a backup at best. He's all we have. What do you think Stefanski said? Well, you know, I was going to play him or this pro bowler that I've been benching all year. We are depleted with injuries. We're trying to figure it out. 
support the goddamn franchise and let's move on to the next question. We're talking like we're 0 and 6. That's right. This isn't a fun conversation or even like this this is so aggravating we have to talk about this. We can't be just celebrate. Yeah, that game sucked. But it's Stefanski's first year as a head coach. The game plans for both of those games, Ravens will will scrap his first game of the year, whatever. The the game plan was not good. Um and we all saw that's very obvious. But 90 days is a new head coach, no place, no freaking traditional it just people like the 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 articles and the topics and the talk shows and the tweets and the instagrams are are being written and spoken to like we finished the season 0 and 16 i'm gonna say this four thousand times we're four and two we're probably gonna beat the teams that we knock on wood need to beat the rest of the year we're gonna be favored in a lot of those games there'll be a trap game of course for any team uh, this question's from Buzz has a Woody. That's the username. Should I just give up on the Jets? For now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. And if, even if Browns fans are saying that to you, that's a deep, deep part of hell the Jets are in right now. <laughs> just kidding. Hang in there, Buzz. It gets better. Brian Eisenman. What one change would have made against the Steelers game? I don't know. I, the offensive and defensive line didn't really show up, in my opinion. It was just a shit game. We got our asses kicked. Let's move on. Josh Winnett, what's the story behind losing the Ring of Power 1.0? He's referring to my wedding ring that I lost within eight days of marriage that was 2-0. I don't know how I lost it. I woke up from a nap and it was gone. Been searching the apartment ever since. However, I believe if I switched to the Miles Garrett jersey with the new ring, that kind of mojo should counter out the loss of the bad ring. Jeremy Cox, is it legal to ship all the haters of our franchise QB to an island for rehabilitation? Very good question, Jeremy. You want to take that, Kevin? Uh, I, li- I like the haters. I know Baker likes the haters. Baker's a dog. That's why people like Baker. He's just a very typical, tough, hard nose, very blends in well in Northeast Ohio people, Cleveland people. So, no, keep the haters coming. That fuels all of them. Why is and the media? Hey, 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 keep the haters. They're not going to an island, but when we're cruising down that Super Bowl parade in a couple years, you're not invited to that shit. Yeah. <laughs> you jump off, you're out. Tyler Holland asks, why is the media so happy to trash the Browns? Like, what do they get out of it? It's a good question, Tyler. And we feel like, I don't know. It's a clickbait. They got to earn their money. Wish they'd earn their money in a more goddamn positive light. I have no answers for that. I don't have any energy left to, to talk about them. Just listen to any, literally any episode of this podcast we've ever made. I understand that the media for the Cleveland Browns, uh, and again, this is never about them as people, but they just, we're going to leave it at that. Uh, Tito Teets, shout out Tito and your no! recovery. What does it say in the Almanac book from Back to the Future 2 about the Browns? I hope all of you have seen Back to the Future 2. Um, I have not. If memory serves correctly, basically he goes in the future, he sees a sports almanac book, goes back in the past and tries to bet on it, uh, oh. bet on wins. Uh, decides not to, but the antagonist Biff finds it and destroys the future temporarily until he goes back into the past to save it or some shit. But I do believe that that year ends in 2016. So that question is like six years too late, five well, years too late. Tito – it's say there's you know ten years from now if the Browns become the Patriots Patriots become the Browns. Next question. Yeah, yeah. If they make another Back to the Future, 
I don't know. That goes even deeper. Anywho, Chris Parks. Does Kevin Stefanski's rugged handsomeness give us an extra edge over competition? Absolutely. Like, like we've said here many times before, I, I find it uh, almost kind of a no-duh, no no-brainer when someone named Kevin, who's associated with the city of Cleveland, looks really, really good. So, yes. Yeah, a jawline of that caliber makes me and those playing for him want to run through brick walls. Not so much on this past Sunday, but, yes, it, it does give us that edge. Sean Kelly. Please address Stephen A. Smith saying Landry and Beckham should request a trade. All right. I thought we did it. We'll move on from this, but it's clickbait. It's bullshit. It's a contract. They're here to stay. They're our guys. Support them, too, along with all of our players. Thank you again for sending in questions to the Instagram machine. Always be able to find it at Angry Browns fans on Instagram. We have reoccurring guest, friend of the program, fellow UD Flyer, Mo Egger from ESPN Radio, Cincinnati Sports, the voice of Cincinnati sports joining us here momentarily because we're on to Cincinnati guys. Speaking of the Patriots, Pittsburgh games behind us. We'll see him again. We'll see Baltimore again, but we got Mo coming on to once again, fill us with his knowledge of the Bengals going to catch up on the first third of their season and preview this game coming up on Sunday. Let's go. We now welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast, reoccurring guest, Mo Egger. You can find him on Twitter at MoEgger1530. You can find him on ESPN 1530-700-WLW, ESPN Radio, Fox Sports Ohio, The Athletic. But in my opinion, most importantly, a fellow University of Dayton alum. Mo, how are we doing, sir? That's right. I'm, I'm good. I was I was just reading uh, Twitter today how Penn State's going to hire Anthony Grant, and I got a good chuckle at that. So, oh, no. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. I don't know. We don't know who that – we were just talking about that uh, in a group text. We don't know who that guy is, but it's uh, very entertaining <laughs> for sure. I, uh, I, got a, I got a much-needed laugh out of that this afternoon. Dayton hoops, one way or another, will always provide a laugh, even if you're just laughing just to stay sane. <laughs> so, Mo, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it. Uh, you know, we had a lot of great feedback, obviously, the last time you were on, giving us all the good deeds, everything about Cincinnati. I want to talk about the first third of the year. You know, you guys are – it's like looking in a mirror. You guys have a new quarterback, <laughs> except we get a new one every 20 minutes before Baker. <laughs> you guys don't do that very often. Um, but for the first time in – that I can remember, well, there's always – I mean, yeah, there's always a conversation about your coach the last several years, but – um, before his predecessor, but looking at you guys, people are, you know, there's a new quarterback, there's a coach with a losing record. People don't like the coach and people like the quarterback. So it's kind of different than what Cleveland's only like <laughs> what's happened in Cincinnati. What, what's the first third of this season? You guys have had uh, quite a time. I mean, you guys joined the, the, the tie club that we were in last year with the Pennsylvania team. Yeah. You guys tied the Eagles. You beat the Jags. Got the first win of the season against the Jag, first win of Joe Burrow's career. Um, I'm all over the place right now, but they haven't won enough, quite frankly. Um, they've won one game out of six, and and I think most people, myself included, uh, find that not acceptable, especially given the fact that Joe Burrow has been, uh, I think, as good as advertised. He, he hasn't been, you know, infallible by any stretch. He threw a game ceiling interception against. Um, the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday in a game the Bengals blew. He, he, he's made mistakes, but by and large, um, 
I think the quarterback play has been more than passable. I, I think the quarterback play has been, uh, you know, it, it obviously gives fans a reason to think that Joe Burrow is going to be great, and and they're going they've got their quarterback. But over these first six games, you know, given the fact that they didn't have a preseason, training camp was truncated, uh, the off season OTA stuff like that didn't happen. You know, we spent a lot of time in August talking about God, what what do we expect from Joe Burrow in his, you know, first four, five, six games he's exceeded whatever those expectations were. You know, you, you saw oh, yeah. it the first time he was played Cleveland. There's no way in hell he should have thrown it 61 times, and there was a fumble. But you saw a guy who took a has taken a beating this year. You saw a guy who gets up, stands in there. He's got poise. He's got feel for the game. He can make some plays with his legs. Um, they really haven't been able to connect on the deep ball, but I think that's less of a function of, of, of bad quarterback play, more just a – a function of a bad offensive line and a series of, of wide receivers that to this point really haven't produced all that much. And yet it's yielded one victory. And that's, that's not acceptable. This is, this is not a rebuild. Um, they went into this season with the 15th youngest roster in the NFL. So kind of right in the middle of the pack, you know, they brought back AJ green. They brought back Geno Atkins. They brought back Carlos Dunlap, you know, mainstays from the last time this team was good a half a decade ago. They spent over 150 million bucks in free agency. They didn't do that on on guys who were seemingly at the end of their careers. They they did that on, you know, in in their prime dudes who had been a part of winning teams before. They did all that with the idea that they were going to win a substantial number of football games greater than what they won last year. They were they were going to try to play meaningful football in December. And so, the fact that that uh, hasn't yielded more than one victory through six games. I, I think is is starting to justifiably so reflect on the coaching staff. Zach Taylor, you know, at the end of last season, we may have talked about this before you had me on the first time. At the end of the first season, we kind of said, okay, they were two and fourteen. The roster was bad. Zach was a, a first time head coach, calling plays in over his head, maybe as many coaches would be. Give him a pass. And at the end of that first season, we all said, okay, I don't know that he's a good coach, but I'm not yet ready to say he's a bad coach. I'm not, re- not, yet, not yet ready to say he's not the guy. Well, we have 10 games left in this season, and I'm certainly not prepared to say he is the guy. Um, and even if he's, you know, if, I'm, if, if you're going to say, well, I'm not sure that he isn't the guy, I better get those answers between now and the end of the season. And I don't like where this is going for him personally. Uh, they've, they have, they've lost a lot of close games. They've lost games they should have won. The Baltimore game. You know, at face value, they blew them out. But frankly, the game plan, to me, showed a lack of preparation. Zach Taylor keeps talking about things like developing a winning culture and everybody in the locker room getting along with each other. Um, I'm tired of hearing about those things. I think most fans are tired of of hearing about those things. And they kind of fly in the face of things that are happening publicly because you've had players call out the coach for miscommunication. You have, have had players tweet about their roles and have signaled that they're unhappy. So... Um, the, the Joe Burrow piece has been fine. The part we worried about before the season has been fine. Everything else around him has been a mess. And that adds up to one win in six games in a season where we were going to start to measure the team, the franchise and the coach and the coaching staff by whether or not they won a significant uh, number of games more than they did last year. And so far it looks like that's not going to be the case. It's a long answer. Mo just, and that was a great answer. And Mo just, 
unintentionally answered the next like six questions I had written down. So thank you for that. Because <laughs> oh, what I want, what I wanted to ask Mo is, and again, you brought him up the points I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, since he obviously the co- the previous coach, you guys held on to him forever, for better or for worse. You just held on for a long time. Ownership liked him a lot, obviously, but that was always a debate every year. Yeah, he goes to the playoffs, but you don't win the playoffs. So my questions, or my question now for that, and I saw this in some headlines in Cincy News this week, uh, and you just talked about you know them on social media. Is Zach Taylor losing the veterans, or has he already lost the veterans in that locker room? Uh, it's a great question. It, cer- it certainly would seem so. I mean, um, two weeks ago they played Baltimore. A.J. Green is seen mouthing on the sidelines, trading. At least he's not stripping like OBJ was in Pittsburgh, but keep going. Sorry. <laughs> True. So trade me. Well, that, that, that doesn't reflect well on the coach. Um, Carlos Dunlap, who has been here since 2010 and is, is one of the better players they've ever drafted, um, speaks about finding out that he's been demoted uh, not because of a conversation he had with a coach, but because of the, the depth chart taped on the, the whiteboard in the locker room. Um, Geno Atkins is reportedly, you know, he never talks with the media, but reportedly not happy about his decreased role. And you might say, well, you know, part of this is a byproduct of losing. Um, guys aren't supposed to be happy when the team is losing. And I think that's fair. I also think it's fair to look at a Carlos Dunlap or look at a Geno Atkins and reduce their roles. Those are aging players who haven't been very productive, and, and that's what most teams do. They, they reduce your roles if you're a, a, an aging player who's not as productive as you used to be. But um, the, the fact that you have guys like that who are showing their uh, distaste for the set of circumstances surrounding the team certainly doesn't reflect well on the coaching staff. Um, you had some other players who aren't quite as tenured or as accomplished as Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins, who late last week were tweeting about misuse and their roles on the team and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think there's that. And then there's just whenever the losing doesn't stops, inevitably you wonder at what point is the team going to tune Zach Taylor out? He's won three games out of 22. Um, he can talk all he wants about having a great culture. He can talk all he wants about, you know, everybody's playing really hard and on the same page. But I think in, in any sports dynamic, when th- the losing doesn't stop, at, at some point the coach is going to lose some players. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not the majority of them. Maybe not the most important guys, but he's going to lose some of them. And so – I, I think those are legitimate questions, and, and the only way those questions really stop is, is if this team starts winning games. And frankly, after Cleveland, they have to play Tennessee. Uh, that doesn't bode well. After Tennessee post by, they have a game against the Steelers and Pittsburgh. Uh, probably not going to win that one. So I think this game on Sunday is sort of be, being viewed as if, if not now, then when? And if not this Sunday – if we're already talking about Zach Taylor losing the team, how bad is it going to be if instead of one four and one, there's something like one seven and one? And this is uh, not to bring up. I'm looking for <clears throat> kind of validation of my own opinion on this. Um, when the Bengals cut Andy Dalton on April 30th, like right after they drafted Burrow, was there any controversy or did you have an opinion on that? I personally am in the belief that you got to let these rookies play behind a veteran and sit for a year just because 
the greatest of all time, they always do it. Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, they always get one year at least of sitting to kind of go from that stud franchise. Well, Brady was like a fifth rounder, but just get acclimated to the NFL. And Dalton, yeah, he wasn't the answer for you guys, but he was a true veteran. He still is. Um, were there any? Was there any controversy around that or no? I like that question, Raleigh, because I think what you're saying is, is hindsight's 2020. But now, just, do people th- wish that he was still there to be mentoring Burrow at all, or do they just want a clean break? I, I think after most people watched Andy on Monday night, they're uh, <laughs> thrilled <laughs> that that's Dallas's problem now. No, oh, I mean, I, I think there's validity. I, I think there's validity to that. You know, we, we saw here firsthand um, in 2003, John Kitna played the entire year. Carson Palmer was drafted that April, and he never took a snap. I mean, there, there, were, there were weeks, different era, but there were weeks where he was not even the backup quarterback. He was listed as the third guy. Um, they wanted him to watch a veteran quarterback. The NFL doesn't work that way with rookie contracts, you know, being slotted the way they are. So that's, that's not realistic. But I think the conversation would have been interesting had Andy not been due to make $17 million this year. Yeah. I just, frankly, I, I think, number one, they drafted Joe Burrow with the idea he was going to start week one. For better, for worse. But, COVID-19, non-COVID-19, right. they wanted to turn the team over to, to Joe Burrow week one. Um, number two, along with that, I, I don't think they wanted to pay a backup quarterback $17 bucks. I don't know if they came to Andy Dalton and said, look, we want you here, but would you take a pay cut? Um, I'm, I'm guessing that if, if they did, Andy would have told them to pound sand, and understandably so. So I, I, I certainly think with having watched this offensive line um, – I think most of us would be surprised if Joe made it through 16 games. And if the idea is to be competitive in whatever games Joe would miss, uh, Ryan Finley doesn't give you that opportunity, and Andy might. But I, I think they viewed Joe as kind of getting it smart enough. That probably wasn't really going to learn much from Andy Dalton, quite frankly. That's no knock on Andy. And I, I'm not even sure that was the right approach, but I think they viewed Joe Burrow as ready meaning not just ready to play week one, but, but not needing tutelage from a, a veteran quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think there's always value in, in learning from somebody who has experience, and I think the dynamic might have been entirely different had Andy been under contract at a, at a salary that was you know, significantly less than 17 mil. But for him to be the backup quarterback this year, that's what it would have cost. And after an offseason in which they did spend money on guys that they do intend to play, I'm not sure they viewed that as a – a worthwhile investment. Well, I just, at this point, I got to imagine everyone's thinking we just can't let um, Burrow get killed behind this O-line and get, go to the Tim couch route. The greatest that never was. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's the offensive line, which is terrible. And you know, there, there's nothing that I think puts this organization and the coaching staff in the public's crosshairs more than the play of the offensive line, because as much as you can credit them for um, making some changes to the defense and spending money in free agency, you know, for the first time really in my life, um, they left that offensive line sort of alone. Now they were going to get Jonah Williams back, who was the the player they took in the first round in 2019, who didn't play at all last year because he got hurt um, during OTAs. So, okay, he's going to play left tackle, fine. And, frankly, Jonah Williams has been fine. He, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's not great, but 
for a guy whose first NFL snap came in a regular season game lined up against Joey Bosa, he's been <laughs> fine. But the rest of that offensive line is is sort of a mismatch of dudes, you know, from Michael Jordan to Trey Hopkins. To, you know, they've tried Xavier Suofilo before he got hurt, Fred Johnson. Bobby Hart, the right tackle, is is maybe the least popular player in town. Um, and all the while, the, the one assistant coach that Zach Taylor insisted he had to bring with him to Cincinnati was the offensive line coach, Jim Turner. So the organization has gone all in on these guys on the offensive line. They've also whiffed in the draft. Billy Price from Ohio State, who they took in 2018, has not worked out. The trade for Cordy Glenn in 2017, when they traded down in the draft to take him, that, that didn't work out. The draft choices they used on offensive linemen back in 2015 haven't worked out. So the front office has failed to build an offensive line. And Jim Turner, the offensive line coach that Zach Taylor had to have and pretty much assured everybody was going to be able to fix some of these linemen who have never been that good, that hasn't worked out. So uh, they're really under the microscope. And then, you know, the, the, the real troublesome thing for me was, okay, the offensive line stinks. We know that. You have to game plan around that. When they played Baltimore, it was remarkable to me because Joe Burrow, the Wednesday before the game, says publicly, we know they're going to blitz, which when you play the Ravens, that's what they do. They blitz more than anybody in the league except for Pittsburgh. That's what they do. So from the get-go, Baltimore blitzes, and the Bengals have empty backfields, five wides, nobody to help out, nobody to chip, nobody to pick up a blitzer, no running back. I mean, it was remarkable, and, I'm, and, and they never adjusted. And so I'm going, okay, it's, it's one thing to have a bad offensive line. It's another thing to know you have a bad offensive line and know what the other team is going to do to you, and you don't even try to scheme to stop it. When the quarterback acknowledges, here's what's going to come, here's what's going to happen, um, that, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that, we talk about what reflects well on Zach Taylor. I'm not sure there's been anything in a game that has reflected more poorly on the coaching staff than that. Mo, you brought it up a little bit ago, uh, but it was one, other, one of the questions I wanted to ask. You said it. This was not – supposed to be a teardown to the studs rebuild with drafting Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, something the, you know, the Browns do every 20 minutes, but um, Taylor was hired as like, we've talked about on this podcast many times as one of those young offensive minds, a Sean McVay that every team is so it wants it so bad to catch that uh, lightning in a bottle. You know, the Bengals were six and 10 the year before he came in. So you talk about the players that didn't work out or that were traded, drafted, you know, trade deadline's coming up in a few weeks. Are you guys going to be super active, or is it going to be we're going to wait and deal with this in the offseason, we're going to chalk this up to just the first year with our new quarterback and, and go from here? Well, traditionally, the Bengals have uh, not been active at the deadline. Mm-hmm. In fact, if, if, if you recall a few years ago when they tried to trade A.J. McCarron to the Browns, what was so shocking about that was – wait, the Bengals are going to make a trade at the deadline? I mean, it wasn't – we were less concerned about why it did or didn't work. To me, it was more like, wait a minute, the, the Bengals actually know you can trade guys during the season. So, historically, that's, that's not been something they've done. Um, I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a really good question. I think the bigger question is, what could they get for the guys that they could maybe trade? You know, A.J. Green played well last week against India. It was his first good game in forever. So, you know, maybe that's an encouraging sign because perhaps, you know, he has another good game on Sunday and, you know, there's a team who's in need of a wide receiver and they're willing to give you something for A.J. Green. But 
the pool of those teams is limited because, you know, for the second half of the season, he's due roughly 9 million bucks. He's 32 years old. There's all, you're always worried about injuries. And so you're not going to give up much for AJ green. Uh, John Ross is their first round pick from 2017. He's been a bust. Uh, will forever be remembered as the player taken before Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's reportedly asked for a trade. I, I understand why. Uh, he didn't dress the previous three games. He finally dressed for Indy. He played one snap. So you can mm, certainly yeah. understand him wanting an opportunity to play, but what are you going to get for John Ross? What are you going to get for Billy Price? At this stage in the game, what are you going to get for Geno Atkins? What are you going to get for, for Carlos Dunlap? Players who have years left on their deals. Um, so I, I, I would be willing to bet that they would like to move some of these guys, um, but you're not going to get that much. I mean, th there's, there's, just, there's not a lot of value there in return. If, if somebody wanted to give them a, a six for John Ross, I think you'd do it. If somebody wanted to give you a, a five for A.J. Green, I think you, you sign the papers as, as quickly as possible. Um, I, I think that the bigger thing, though, moving forward, this franchise – for years has been caught in a um, futile attempt to recapture what they had in 2015, which mm -hmm. they were great that year. Won 12 games. You know, who knows what happens if Andy Dalton doesn't get hurt week 13. They had the yeah. Steelers beat and, and melt down, but they had a 12-win team. It was the fifth straight year where they made the playoffs, and it, it has felt like th they have spent a lot of time just trying to, you know, bring as many of those guys back. And the longer you do that, the less likely it is. And so I think there's, for this franchise, which has always valued their own players, always, you know, guys, homegrown dudes, always valued um, signing guys to extensions who have been here. They've always valued loyalty. Mm -hmm. I think moving forward, there's maybe a lesson about, hey, let's, let's not give 30-year-old Geno Atkins uh, a contract that makes him at the time the highest paid interior defensive lineman in football. Let's not on the same day give Carlos Dunlap at the age of uh, 29, I think, uh, an exceptionally lucrative deal that, that's going to be hard to get out from underneath. Let's not go through this long protracted thing where we end up giving A.J. Green 18 million bucks when he's 32 years old. Hopefully moving forward, there's less reluctance to move on from aging players, even if they're aging players who have meant a lot to this franchise, because mm -hmm. it usually doesn't end well. And, you know, you're, you're, you're going to end up just cutting those dudes and it's going to be very unceremonious anyway. So especially when you're not in a position to win, which the Bengals haven't been in a while. So I, I hope that's the lesson moving forward, but yeah, getting back to the original question, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of players who, A, would love to be traded, and B, <laughs> the Bengals would like to move on from. I, I just don't know that anybody's pushing other teams out of the way to, to get their hands on those guys. So it just, it's this whole conversation. I've just been stunned because it's really like talking to uh, – You guys are I so round this year. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But That's what I said the first interview, dude. But let's get into the, this upcoming Sunday game. 12,000 fans are going to be in the stadium down Cincinnati, a little home cooking. Uh, it's no more, you know, last time we talked or you and Raleigh talked, uh, you know, we both had one games under our belts. So we had no clue what really to expect. Um, but let's talk about expectations coming into this game. Um, the Bengals and Browns usually play each other pretty well, or I should say, excuse me, the Bengals always play the Browns very hard for the most part. <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts about this coming game? Um, you know, last time with, with the run, you know, we have Chubb out. 
And with Kareem still being one of the best backs in the league, it's still not the one-two punch that we had against you guys the first time. So I guess after now that we've been a third of the way through the season, where do you see yourselves with a chance against us? And where are some areas besides the line and, and Garrett that you're a little worried about? Well, God, you you worry about everything. I I, I think the the one thing you're kind of clinging to is all right. Maybe maybe what they got from AJ Green last week against Indy is something that they can continue to tap into because if you know you're not going to get vintage 2015 AJ Green, but the the guy we got against Indianapolis was pretty damn good, mm-hmm. and he, you know he, he he and he made catches in big situations. So if I'm getting a B minus version of the old AJ Green. That's pretty good when I compare him with Tyler Boyd and 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 uh, and T Higgins, who seems to his game seems to evolve every single week. So, you know they they finally connected on some downfield throws against Indianapolis. You always hope you can build on what you do one week to the next. And so if I can build on you know kind of the expansion of what they were doing offensively, and get that version of AJ Green they got against the Colts. Um, I think they're in a better position to throw the ball than they were week two when, you know, they were, they were still trying to figure out who was going to play what role. A.J. Green was not very good that night. They targeted him 13 times. He had three catches. Things are a little bit better in that regard. Um, Joe Mixon's foot is going to be worth paying attention to this week because he injured it during the Colts game. He left for a while. He did come back. He did not practice on Wednesday. So, you know, Thursday is going to be telling – Obviously, if Joe Mixon's healthy, he's kind of at the center of everything they want to do offensively. And when they've been really good, which hasn't been all that often, he's been really involved in everything they do. So I, I, I tend to think that if you have Mixon and, and A.J. And, and, uh, and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, there's, that's, that's not the easiest team in the world to defend. Obviously, their offensive line is not very good. So how can the Bengals mask that? Um, how do you block Miles Garrett? All those same questions we had, you know, before game number two, Th- those will be questions against every single opponent every single week because this offensive line is not very good. Defensively, it was interesting. They, they got a lot of credit for the way they played against Baltimore. Now, two things about that game. Number one, Lamar Jackson showed up in the injury report with a knee and clearly wasn't himself. Number two, it was abundantly obvious the Bengals weren't going to score in that game. So Baltimore could go up 10, 17, nothing, and kind of just sit on the football. Didn't take chances. That said, I, I, thought, I thought especially the back seven of the Bengals defense played really, really well against Baltimore. And then against Indianapolis, they were terrible. Uh, the secondary, they made, they made Phillip Rivers look like it was, you know, 2007. Uh, <laughs> didn't pressure him. At times they would send three guys, you know, they would rush three, drop eight, and he was still finding wide open guys. They, they had some cracks, you know, open up in that secondary that I, I really worry about on, on Sunday. And, and, and they're, they're not getting much of a pass rush at all. You know, we talked about Geno Atkins and, and Carlos Dunlap. Um, Carlos Dunlap, uh, it, you know, you would, you, would, you would have no problem giving him a reduced role if they were getting production from Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard. Uh, Sam Hubbard's not even healthy right now. And Carl Lawson, since he moved into a more prominent role, has done nothing. And Geno Atkins, at the beginning of the year, if I would have said, well, Geno's going to play less of a role, okay, great. They're getting great production from the interior from DJ Reader and Mike Daniels. DJ Reader's out for the season. Mike Daniels has just come off IR, and I'm going to guess he plays on Sunday, but 
my guess is he's he's not out there for 55, 60 snaps. So that defensive line, which you saw what the Browns did to it week two, that's when they were healthier than they are right now. I really worry about that. I, I don't I don't know what to make of this team um, uh, from a defensive standpoint. There's some pieces I think that are encouraging. Uh, their linebacker play, I think there's there's some things to like there with the guys they drafted this season. But there's no real strength to it. There's nothing that I think an offensive coordinator spends his week going, God, you know, we got to make sure that guy doesn't beat us. Or we got to make sure that, you know, they don't take away this part of the field. Um, So, you know, what they are from week to week defensively, I think for a lot of folks is, is a bit of a mystery, which puts everything on Joe Burrow, puts everything on those offensive weapons and, um, I, I, again, I think Sunday's really interesting. I think the Bengals, I think Zach Taylor has to win this game because he's not going to win the, the next two in all likelihood. And if, if this, if they're sitting there at one, seven and one, you know, I know they still have to play the, the, the rest of the NFC East and Houston and all that. But if this thing's at one, seven and one, we're already wondering if he's losing the team. I really don't want to even think about what those conversations are going to be like in three or four weeks. So at, at some point, you have to get a victory, and and let's face it, his three wins have come against teams that, you know, frankly, he was supposed to beat. The Browns last year, Week 17, think they kind of mailed it in. Uh, the Jets last year were terrible, and Jacksonville's not that good, and that's who they beat this year. So I, I think this is a huge, huge, huge week for for Zach Taylor. Um, I would feel a lot better saying that if I, I felt better about the the current makeup of his team, but unfortunately, I don't. We have been going through a absolute civil war in cleveland uh people's thoughts on baker um people are calling for his head they want him traded they want to get fitz magic on the team i've always appreciated and respected your ability to call a fair game while clearly supporting your team do you have any thoughts on cleveland and baker mayfield let me piggyback off that too because i was going to ask a very similar question and mo you talk about it's a must win for the Bengals. uh I have never seen the civil war that has started in Cleveland since Sunday. I, and we're talking, <laughs> but we're talking, this is, remember, we are the Cleveland Browns who have been through 400 quarterbacks in the last 20 years, 50 yeah. coaches, two wins. Uh, you know, we went 131 and one or whatever the hell it was with, with Hugh. And then now we're four and two. And this is the most civil war I've ever seen. I, it was mostly just idiots on the internet and whatnot. But again, of course, um, you know, you got some of your, uh, colleagues on ESPN like Stephen A and everyone start trying to start the the trade or free OBJ hashtag because Baker can't throw to him. <laughs> so you said it's a must win for Zach Taylor. I this is the attention that's going to be on this game and yeah. the uneasiness that is in Cleveland right now because people know that if we lose to the Bengals, it's going to get even though we'll be we'll still be four and or sorry uh, four and three. Uh, dark times will be ahead in Cleveland because that's just what we do. Yeah, I said that on the air today. The Bengals had a chance to be talked about on Monday morning because, you know, the, the, the Browns are such a national talking point that they, they could be at the center of all that if, if they deliver them a loss. I guess my sort of from afar viewpoint is that, that franchise has been defined by chaos and lack of continuity and the coaches always being shuffled and quarterbacks always being shuffled. How about for once you give a coach and a quarterback a shot to, to work, work things out with each other, develop Thank a relationship. You. I mean, I, I, you know, continuity is the last thing that a lot of Bengals fans want to hear because they probably hang, hung on to Andy Dalton too long and, and they've had you know, Marvin Lewis for 16 years. But I, I just, 
I, I certainly understand the doubts that people have about Baker Mayfield, but you invested a lot in him. You've he's had counting the interim guy, four head coaches, right? In mm-hmm. three years. Uh, four offensive coordinators, the Freddie Kitchens experiment, which, which didn't work. Like at some point you have to give a quarterback and a coach some time together. You know, that's it's the, the, the only thing that I would say about Zach Taylor here is, well, the Joe Burrow thing is going well. And, you know, Zach has a hand in that. So, all right, maybe, maybe we consider that. There's a whole lot of other stuff that sort of outweighs that. But I, I mean, if the idea is gonna, we're going to trade Baker Mayfield for Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, that's, I, I like Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot. He was here in 2008. Like, I mean, he, he's, he's made a lot of money and he's carved out a really good career kind of being the, the bridge guy, you know, never the starter, but never really the backup, which is what he's been in Miami this year. But if, if you're trying to compete for something this season, Ryan Fitzpatrick turns into fool's goal. The entire league knows that. How about you give Kevin Stefanski and, and Baker Mayfield a shot with each other? And if at the end of it, Kevin Stefanski goes to management and says, this isn't the guy. Okay. And then you go from there and figure out what the, what the next, you know, what, what the plan is moving forward, but they're four and two. They have a very winnable game on Sunday to say the least odds makers would say they should be five and two. Um, You know, give, give those two a shot together, give them a chance together. Now, if one of the two parties says, I don't want to work for this guy. I don't want this guy working for me. That's one thing, but they've just been such a picture of chaos and instability. At some point, you have to settle on a coach and a quarterback and give them a chance, and that means more than five or six games. Not to mention, speaking of Fitz, Fitzmagic, Fitzpatrick, he, uh, he went to the Dayton of the Northeast, Harvard. So that's one more thing we like about him. Now, I, 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 once you said that, just let a quarterback and a coach be together for more than 20 minutes in the city of Cleveland – uh, it's, I think it's like 87 or 88 days since Stefanski and Baker started working together. Um, yeah. I just heard angels sing hallelujah. Just, just please God, let's can we just try like maybe just a year, one season with the same coach and quarterback together. Just once, just once. If we get a clip of that and it gets posted and people hear that, that could end the civil war. dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with our esteemed guest, Mr. Egger. What are we thinking for Sunday? Um, God. Uh, I don't have, I don't have a real feel for it. I, I I can't pick the Bengals to win after what I've seen the last two games, um, housed by Baltimore. And, and, and I don't, I don't know what a desperate Zach Taylor team looks like, you know, like they should be desperate to get him a win. Okay. I, 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 I think it's going to be a pretty fun game. I think it has a chance to be pretty high scoring. Bengals are three and a half point dogs. They've been pretty good at covering. So I'll say they lose. Um, let's go. Hell, let's go. Let's go reasonably high. Let's, let's go. I'll go 28, 27 Cleveland. How about that? Damn, that's so much more educated than ours. No, it's not. It, it's, it's not at all. It's completely unscientific, and I really haven't given it much thought. I, I will say this. If, if Joe Mixon's foot is a bigger issue than it's being made out to be, then I think things change dramatically. They, they, need, him, they need him on the field in the worst way. Raleigh? Um, mm, I don't know if Baker's going to play, not because he's, like, getting bench bench, but I think that rib – that might be an issue. It was an issue going into the Steelers. The Steelers didn't make it better. So, 
makes me want to say Browns 42, Steelers 14. So this is where we're going to disagree because I think you'd have to take his leg off his body for her, for him not to play this game. I think he's just a dog. He's a gamer. I think Baker plays. He's not, he's not 100% yet, but he's feeling a lot better this week throwing, uh, much better than last week, which I, I don't know how you can literally get hit by the car that is Dupree and then say you're feeling better the next day than you did the last week when you had rib. So whatever. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, to put a bow on all this, Burrow is – just as advertised, if not better, Burrow's going to be a problem here for a long time. And it just, of course, everyone but the Browns, until we found Baker, always just the one time every 20 years I need a quarterback, they draft someone and it works for the most part, except maybe the Jets or but anyway. With the North team, <laughs> with the AFC North teams, at least, besides us, um, I, I am going to go what I, against what I've been doing the last few weeks. I think it's going to be a field goal game. I know our guys are pissed off and angry after coming off the Steelers, but we're coming again to an away game again. You guys are going to have, you know, 12,000 angry, loud fans there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing something like like a 14-10 or something. Browns, excuse me. Let's go! Wow. <laughs> we ha- I got to support my own guys in the show. But 14-10? Uh, oh, we'll see what happens. Oh, well, we got, like, literally all echelons covered. Can't, can't wait. We do. Once again, ladies and gentlemen – Appreciate you tuning in to the Dogs War podcast, and we are always appreciative of Mo Egger coming on to spend some time with us. The man in Cincinnati, the 513, 513, right? Find him once again at Twitter, at Mo Egger, 1530, ESPN Radio, National Radio, Cincinnati Radio, Fox Sports Ohio, The Athletic. Mr. Egger, thank you very much again. Best of luck. Let's have a, a good, clean, not injury game on <laughs> it'll Sunday. Be, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be fun. It'll be uh, <laughs> It'd be uh, fun. You know, you know, that's where we're both, both franchises are at. We're just saying, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll, it'll be, be fun. For a fun game. Yeah. But thank you again, sir. We appreciate it very much. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Once again, thank you, Mo Egger, for joining the Dogs of War podcast to help us break down the upcoming game on Sunday, as well as the Cincinnati Bengals' first third of their season. Shout out Muccio for the new Creed song. Always appreciated. That does it for us. We'll see you back next week. Let's get it done this Sunday. Go Browns and good night, Cleveland. Well, I just heard Jim Donovan It seems the Browns are gonna win I close my eyes begin to pray to Kareem Hunt and OBJ Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.